Welcome back to the Maui Noka Oi Magazine and Silver Shark Media Podcast. I'm Jason Evans of Silver Shark Media. As always, we thank you for tuning in today and encourage you to subscribe and download to the podcast series. I'd like to welcome our next guest, Matias Basasso, co-founder and CEO of Rising Sun Solar. Matias, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Absolutely, Jason. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. And I'm excited to talk renewable energy. Always a, a good topic in, in my wheelhouse of uh, conversation. Um, and especially out here in Hawaii, of course, solar is something that is, that is quite common. So before we get into the technology, let's talk about Rising Sun Solar. So what was the inspiration uh, for starting this company? And when did you start this company? Funny, that's where you start, because it was certainly out of inspiration that this company was born. Um, there were there was no real solar business to be had, Jason, in 2003 when we founded the company. I guess I'll start quickly with my, with my partner, but... Uh, he moved to Hawaii uh, from California, and he had been quite active in the solar industry and figured, you know, what a great place to go do solar in Hawaii. Lots of sun, high utility rates, and eco-friendly-minded folks. So made it out here and realized that he needed to partner with someone that had an electrical contracting license and, and, and all of that. And life was good enough to me that he found me. And uh, together in 2003, uh, out of the inspiration of wanting to change the world, one solar panel at the time, mm-hmm. we joined forces. And I had an, an existing business back then called Rising Sun Electric. I had been an uh, electrical contractor for a number of years prior to that. And I was also seeking uh, potentially a better things to do with my time. You know, I had dropped out of architectural school to, to move to Hawaii when I was 20. And in my late 20s, early 30s, I was really looking for a new challenge. And uh, when this gentleman came came to my life and said, look, if you can put solar panels on someone's, roofs, uh, someone's roof, the meter will spin backwards. Mm-hmm. I thought that he was crazy or, or, or really onto something. Sure. And uh, I chose to believe the latter. And uh, we formed a company in the summer of 2003. What were some of your early challenges back then in, in the early 2000s with really getting that message across that you just talked about of, of, of a concept that was pretty new to people um, and getting that message across that this is the future. You know, Jason, I'll never forget how many terms we heard uh, for people who just couldn't say photovoltaic, you know, from photovolcanic to photo, <laughs> some other things that um, I can't say on the podcast. But <laughs> yeah, it was education, education, education. If you remember back in 2000, 2003, the economy was fairly strong. The markets were rising, construction was on. So, you know, what are these guys talking about this? I can't even pronounce the word, but it sounds sounds interesting and uh, tell me more. So the initial challenge basically was there were there were fair, basically no incentives, Jason. Yep. Uh, all there was the $2,000, 10% federal credit, uh, the ITC that we know today at 30, uh, 26% rather today with no cap back then was only 10% and $2,000 cap. There was no state subsidy, and the utility rates were less than half of what they um, are today. And solar system costed three times what they cost today. You really had to be a, a pioneer, uh, an early adopter, to, to jump on the bandwagon, and it 100% required education. You know, as technology advances early on, you mentioned that there did have to be a little bit of subsidies offered for people to even really... Um, buy into it a little bit for businesses and people who installed solar. So what was that like for you as, as more people saw the potential of of the technology, but also started to recognize that there was kind of a, you know, cost incentive that was being provided to switch to renewables? Those were the early years. And there was a reason why no one was doing it, because I, I can't say that it made a lot of sense, Jason. 
Um, solar back then was $10 a watt. So, you know, a 5,000 watt system would cost 50 grand. Yeah. And again, that uh, you would only get $2,000 write off. So $48,000 net. And utility rates were, you know, in the teens and the 14, 15 cent range. So the payback for a solar system was about eight to 10 years. So people didn't do it really for return reasons. They did it because they believed in it. So the, I was lucky enough to work with a lot of early adopters who did it out of principle. They thought that's what they needed to do to give back to this island because they just couldn't fathom, um, you know, driving by Kahului and seeing those diesel plants and those smokestacks and such a beautiful place that has so many resources, renewable resources, just polluting itself with with dirty energy. So it was a... It was kind of a mission that we embarked on with our early customers that soon turned into heavy education that with some lobbying on behalf of the industry, increased the incentives. You know, the first thing that we got was the 30 uh, percent ITC and the removal of the cap. And that was a uh, kind of a game changer. Then later on, the state joined the forces and gave us the beautiful 35 percent state tax credit. So, you know, in a matter of years, Jason, from 2003 to 2008, I want to say, uh, the incentive base became what it needed to be, and that triggered mass adoption, and the mass adoption basically lowered the price for PV. So the first five years was just a uh, solar treadmill, so to speak, Jason, and uh, once it got its own momentum via incentives, higher rates, and a, and a greater educational basis to why one should do it, then it became more like you know bread and butter. By 2008-2010, it coincided with the collapse of the markets. Yep. And when people saw their, you know, life, life, lifetime savings evaporate, the retirement plans evaporate, the market became a very dangerous place to, to have your, your life savings. People started looking elsewhere for, for, for safer investments. And uh, it's ironic that, you know, five years ago, no one could even say photovoltaics. And five years later, people were uh, divesting from the stock market or, or changing the little savings they had. And they, they dumped it into renewables because they knew that was the right thing to do both environmentally, but also financially. So, you know, you talked about the, the financial changes that went on. How did the technology evolve? So let, let's go from, you know, when you were first installing panels in 2003, 2004, how has the technology progressed to today? It's quite fascinating to see markets evolve, Jason, because uh, you can see the relationship between um, early adoption, uh, lobbying or, or advertising for demand, demand increase, and then the, the impact that has on the on the ultimate good or, or service. You know, the panels that we were trying to move back in 2003 were 160 watts, 150 watts. Nothing would get, you know, beyond 170 watts. Today, less than 20 years later, we're installing in the same footprint, over 400 watts. Wow. So I tell you that in 20 years, we've almost 4xed the efficiency of modules. If you look at the previous 20 years, uh, you know, let's say from 2003 back, it was a fairly static uh, product offering. Why? Because the demand wasn't there. We had a, a really hot run in the U.S. Uh, up until the 70s with, with solar, thermal primarily, and a little bit of photovoltaics. But then, you know, Certain politics and the political environments made it such that Mr. Reagan said, well, no more solar. We're going to rely on oil and, 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 and you know, the solar industry tanked until its rebirth in the late 90s. And then, like I said, it seems like wide scale adoption in line with the collapse of the markets. And then uh, a very uh, steep curve in terms of both panel efficiency, but also panel pricing, Jason. And I think the latter did more for adoption than the former. Uh, although efficiency was increasing and that made products greater and greater, more valuable, the price point just started dropping like there's no tomorrow because 
the global demand in the you know 2010 to 2015 16 was tremendous. So both demand as well as uh, technological improvements made it that that solar was really affordable to almost anyone. So the the state of Hawaii was, I believe, the first state to declare one to be 100% renewable, and they set that goal, I believe, for 2045. What role do you see solar and photovoltaic energy having in that long-term goal? It's a great question and, and one that is not as easy to, to answer, but I can say that somewhat independent of political party or inclination, the state of Hawaii has always been very receptive and proactive at uh, at supporting, you know, the renewable movement. And although we have, you know, primarily one utility uh, that then has different um, sub-companies of the different markets, we, we literally have one utility in Hawaii. So there wasn't a, a big business incentive for the ruling monopoly to, to let go of its control over the ratepayers. However, we're a state that is isolated, that imports 99% of its resources, uh, you know, from tourism to raw goods to energy. You know, we ship diesel from Asia and tankers to come to Hawaii to, to power diesel power generators. And from a dependent standpoint, as well as from a reliability or lack thereof, it's just it's a bad mix to be so dependent on a foreign resource, especially when, when local resources such as wind, solar, wave power are, are right at our reach. Granted, certain technologies required more development, like let's say wave power, but for a number of years, uh, we've been a grid parity, uh, Jason, which means technology costed the same as the alternative, um, dirty, dirty power. We've been at great parity for wind and solar for over a decade now. Yeah. So to answer your question, uh, I believe the goal is realistic, and I believe that's one that we will be able to achieve in two ways. One, by looking real hard at the way we use electricity. Efficiency always comes first, Jason. It's it's It doesn't make any sense, financial sense or philosophical sense or business sense to power an inefficient load. Yep. So efficiency is a huge part of that RPS, Renewable Portfolio Standard. But then great adoption through the support of the state and its different subsidies, as well as the flexibility and collaboration of utilities. Um, you know, I've kind of coined them as the bad guy a few minutes ago by saying, you know, they don't want to let go of their monopoly. But at the same time, there's a place for a partnership. And I've said from day one, as much as I sold against the utility, we have to be partners with the utility. Mm -hmm. We cannot do it without them and they cannot do it without us. So, again, you know, we've, we've fought many battles in our years to keep control over our rate pair base. But uh, I can tell you that we are where we are today because of our partnership with the utility and the state and the industry. So explain to folks at home who maybe don't have solar panels on their roof, might be considering it, unsure of it. Th there are some differences. You can have, you can only do solar water. Um, I've certainly been in a situation where I had solar water, but not solar electricity at the time. Um, so what are some of the differences on options people can utilize with solar and what are the benefits of each you brought up a good point you know you, you talk about solar thermal that's what solar hot water is is thermal energy versus light energy photovoltaics right and uh for the longest time hawaii was the leading state in the nation a number of solar thermal systems per capita we had a great program for the utility it was quite advantageous to support solar thermal devices because solar thermal devices, although they collect heat, what they really are is an efficiency device. 
by heating water through the thermal effect, they replace the electrical load that represents to heat up water with electricity. So it was a great program that helped Bioelectric and other utilities with what they're called their peak load problem. Utilities used to have, that profile has changed now over time, but uh, a problem around from five to let's say eight or nine, when folks got home from work, from school, whatever it may be, and they, everyone fired up their, uh, their hot water heater and it created a load issue for the utility. So the solar thermal program and efficiency program helped out to balance the daily load across the state and it provided uh, savings to lots of folks. But once you've taken care of your water heater, only one load in your house, you have to resort to a different technology to generate the remaining electricity to offset your electrical usage. Right. You know, everything at our homes, from our lights to our air conditioning, to our computer, stove, you name it, they all use electricity. So in terms of what options uh, do homeowners or businesses have available to go solar, well, there's a purchase route where basically the equipment is purchased by an individual or a company. Those can get mounted on the roof or an adjacent land or, you know, there are different ways in which they can get mounted. But they're connected to the building electrical system. They're owned by the person who bought them. Uh, they come with a lot of tax incentives that make the return on investment very attractive. Yep. But they basically remove the electrical usage uh, from the site. One can do something similar. And instead of owning it, they can seek a third party to own it. And that is more known in the industry as power purchase agreements or, or TPO, third-party owned systems. The TPO model was quite prevalent in the years, let's say, 12 to 13 and, and, and on up until now by companies like SolarCity, Sunrun, Vivint, where you know the early adoption came on by people who purchased their system and received the tax credits. But not everyone uh, can afford to buy these systems nor everyone can uh, be eligible or take advantage of the tax incentives. So a large portion of our um, community, both residential and commercial, has also enjoyed solar via the ownership of third parties. Which is, a, you know, a fascinating breakdown to kind of understand that, that, that there are options for people out there. Early on, it can be an intimidating space to get into. But I think as you learn what kind of flexibility there is, it, it becomes a more advantageous, you know, option to, to dig deeper in, especially if, if you own your home and plan on staying there for, for a good amount of time. Yeah, Jason, just, just to go back real quick to something we said earlier, yeah. it's still a lot of education today because we've introduced other technologies like batteries, for example. There were no batteries, uh, at least on, on a wide scale when I started. And there were no batteries while this market grew uh, through the net metering years. But after the departure of net metering, uh, which was a way in which you could interconnect with the utility and do a one-to-one -one exchange on energy that you made and potentially exported, that departed, that left. We don't have net metering anymore since uh, late October 2015. So batteries have come online. And, uh, and this means of financing to a third party was a great way to uh, launch those technologies in scale funded by a third party, not necessarily individuals. So I can say that both people who took the leap of faith, people who did sound investments by investment in solar, and people who uh, subscribe to um, service contracts by these providers have all benefited from solar energy in the last 20 years. Well, one one organization that's benefiting now, as, as I know, as I just uh, filmed with them for our TV series, Awesome Planet, a couple of weeks ago, is the Maui Ocean Center. I thought saw that you guys have done quite an installation there, and there's still more to be done, uh, as I understand. So, you know, t tell me what that process was like for you guys working with them and kind of what your big picture goals are for that aquarium to kind of be 
um, fully renewable over time. You know, what's ironic or interesting or funny, and I'll try to keep it short, but I did a lot of the underground work, uh, all the conduits under the ground back in, I want to say, 98, 99 as an electrical contractor. Hmm. Um, so I was at that site, Maui Ocean Center, very, very early on when it was built. Uh, many, many years and lives later, I was uh, lucky enough to meet Tapani Buori, uh, the general manager for Maui Ocean Center. Yep. And, uh, you know, these folks set out to do a request for proposal and, and, and seek input from different companies to solve their energy pain point. And uh, we were fortunate enough to win that solicitation and uh, did a first phase of approximately, I want to say, 300 kilowatts. That equates to about 200 homes, uh, wow. you know, to do a, a residential comparison. Yeah. But interestingly enough, that massive system only took care of about 30 to 35% of their utility bill. Even now, during COVID days, where their usage has shrunk by 35 to 40% because of the lack of visitors, because these folks have to keep fish alive and reef alive and, you know, the aquarium going, they're still using about 65, 70% of the energy they were using before. Yeah. And that's why uh, Tapani reached out again to see what could be done to do a system expansion and, and provide a greater offset to their still existing and painful electrical bill. But that was a great project because here they are showcasing, you know, Hawaii's underwater life and, and, and its fragility and what we can do to, to keep it thriving and not burning diesel and polluting the reefs and polluting the water is one way to protect that environment. So a perfect marriage between clean energy and clean, clean reefs, clean ocean, clean, clean marine ecosystems. I love that project. Yeah. And that definitely a couple of mission statements that are definitely in line with one another on, on, you know, keeping the planet a cleaner place. So, you know, we, we've asked everyone in this podcast series, the same question, which is how the pandemic has impacted their business. So I'm going to throw the same question to you. At what point this year did you realize the severity of what was happening and how has it impacted rising sun solar? I am originally from Argentina. I moved to Hawaii when I was 20 years old. So every so often we go back and, and visit our folks and our family. And uh, I happened to be in Argentina when things started getting a little bad with Corona. And uh, in mid-March, we, we took an early flight because we had to come home and, and landed back here. Um, I had decided uh, from Argentina to protect our staff to shut down our field operations um, immediately. I didn't want our staff to be exposed or our customers to be exposed. We just, we just had to hit the brakes. So we shut down our operations temporarily, field operations, uh, Jason, around March 13th. Stayed kind of off, off, off people's homes and the office and, and all of that for about 45 days. Kept just critical functions going only, service or, or different emergency functions. Resumed business in May. And we have been on probably one of, one of our strongest streaks ever since may 5th yeah although it took a bit to to kind of get the gears going back again and, and there was a bit of a ramp up curve from may let's say till july we are today firing on all cylinders and looking possibly uh, at our largest year ever and i tell you why at least in, in my opinion you know we were all forced to change our lifestyles and we're all home-based right yeah seldom people go to offices and whatnot so we have now moved all that electrical usage that used to be borne by i don't know school office university workplace wherever it may be to the home so you know still in the pandemic still with all, all kinds of economic restrictions and, and potentially being unemployed folks were seeing uh utility bills that were two to three times what they used to be yep so the, the sensitivity around the cost of electrical usage and keep this in mind. I don't think we're, I don't know where, where things were this uncertain ever in yeah. our lives. Yeah. And so folks, not only 
you know, they couldn't afford the $600 bill, but also they wanted some certainty. What can I control? What if I control the energy that I make and how I use it and what it costs me, that, that makes me feel good. So I'm going to take some of my money out of the stock market or whatever other volatile vehicle I may have, and I'm going to put into something secure with a great payback and something that's going to give me certainty. Also at a time, uh, Jason, where most of the bad solar companies that were flourishing during the, the rush days are gone. And, and simply put, solid businesses who have done things right by themselves and by the community remain. So I feel that solar demand today is very well catered by good businesses. Finally, what we did to, to stay operating is basically we never we never stopped taking the calls. We never stopped selling. We never stopped believing that we could get through this. And right away or, or immediately, we became compliant with all the health guidelines and whatnot. So we almost like suited up to be ready to be the same business that we've always been, if not more, during the craziest times that we've all experienced. We didn't let this COVID thing take us down. And unfortunately, you know, we're essential workers and we're, we're a trade that's in demand. So from a readiness to take that demand on and, 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 and apply it, that's, that's been one of our strengths. We have a tremendous uh, staff that has just, you know, been so supportive to our customers, to our vendors, to each other. We couldn't be doing what we're doing, Jason, today if it wasn't for the amazing staff that we have well, and, and customers. Yeah, and, and I think that's, you know, key to the foundation of any business is, is preparedness. And, you know, nobody could have planned for what's happening this year. But uh, I think if, if you have the foundation of, of a good business and are able to, you know, adapt quickly. Um, certain businesses, like you said, are, are more in demand. And, and one of the things we talked about was silver linings of this whole thing. Um, as you talked about, it was a reset for, you know, whether it be businesses or homeowners to take this time to refocus on their space, their home. You know, I know, I feel like almost every resort has done some sort of renovation or another in the time when they weren't allowed to have guests. And so there's been this time where you said you kind of reset and, and look at what you can control. And a lot of folks have, have taken advantage of that time frame to, you know, either change a personal situation into solar or, you know, whether it be a business that looks to shift and, and utilize the time now when they don't have to worry about a, an installation site when there are tourists or customers on, on site as much. So we talked about the difference from almost 20 years ago to now. So if you hop into a time machine and go 20 years into the future, what do you see solar looking like? Um, you know, for one, solar panels will still be solar panels. They're probably more efficient and, and, and less costly. Where I think the next iteration of technology is going to go into is, number one, storage. Explain that when okay. you say storage. Storage meaning batteries, uh, a, me a means, an electrical medium to store electricity. The traditional home, Jason, will export about 75 to 80% of the energy that it makes in daytime hours because you know, not under COVID, but under normal situations, uh, homes get emptied during the day, right? People go to work or to school. Yep. And so at the same time that people leave their homes and stop, and stop using electricity, the solar systems are making all this energy. So we are, our usage patterns and our generation patterns are opposite to each other for the most part. So solar shines during the day and we use the electricity in the morning and in the evening and at night. Mm -hmm. So batteries coming in to take that excess generation and be put in there. Um, it's the next key to solving, you know, more growth of solar. I said it earlier and maybe I didn't connect one to the other, but in the net metering days, uh, Jason, all that excess electricity would flow into the electrical grid and you would receive a one for one credit. The, the, the electrical grid was the cheapest battery we could ask for. 
well, that only ran for so long. And at the end of 2015, the utility said enough. And, and you know, there's, there's some arguments to that. So the development of new battery technologies, new companies, uh, new efficiencies, the lower price points, that's where we're going to spend the next 10 years of, of, our, of our jobs here trying to improve battery storage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one last piece where, where I believe that, uh, or the industry believes that more innovation is going to happen is in the management of the generation and the usage. Efficiency, like I said earlier, has always or should always come first. So we've never been able to, per se, to control our electrical loads upon demand. And what I mean by that is, well, I can see from my app and my phone that my system is making all this energy right now and it can not going to the battery. What if I could hit a button and do a load of laundry? What if I can hit a button and turn my pool pump on? Or what if I can hit a button and, I don't know, turn my AC off? Being more in touch with how you generate and use energy through energy management systems and being able to access more efficient, more economically attractive storage systems, that's, in my opinion, where the next 10, 15 years of the industry are going to focus on. Well, I think it's going to be exciting to see, and, and it has been you know, so far as we've talked about the last 10 or 15 years. So if people want to learn more about Rising Sun Solar, what website can they go to and where can they find you on social media? www.risingsunsolar.com or uh, on our Facebook page, Rising Sun Solar. Those are our primary uh, you know, customer time points. Our phone number is 575-2202. There's always a happy person on the other end of that uh, request. <laughs> They'll engage and, uh, and we'll talk story with you about, you know, what your options are. Awesome. Well, Matias, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. I really appreciate it. And I think, I think our listeners got a little bit more insight into a renewable energy that is certainly been advancing and growing over the years and will continue to do so. I really appreciate this opportunity, Jason, of putting all this out there for your listeners. Aloha.